You're back for Tuesday's episode of the Locked On Irish Podcast. Today's episode, we are going to be updating you on a critical injury to a top freshman on the basketball team, reacting to some post-game quotes after the victory over Clemson, and then last to wrap things up, we will be grading the best and worst position groups from the game on Saturday in which Notre Dame beat Clemson. Before we get to that, though, I am Joe DeLeon, former college long snapper at the Division I level and current NFL free agent, joined by Ryan Roberts, who is an NFL draft and college football analyst with NFL Draft Bible and a number of other amazing sources. Today, let's get right on into it, Ryan. We missed a headline on Friday that we weren't able to react to because obviously the show came out Friday morning, and then we we wanted to dedicate Monday's huge victory to a full show. We missed discussing Elijah Taylor, who is a three-star recruit coming into this program who is not going to be available for six months after undergoing surgery on his ankle. The freshman forward, uh, and according to men's basketball, the SID account, they said the procedure is necessary to repair a lingering injury he suffered prior to arriving at Notre Dame. A six-month recovery is expected. This is a guy that was a three-star recruit, 212th in the country, and the best recruit in the upcoming class. So, Ryan, do you think this is a big loss for this basketball program losing out on the best freshman that they had coming in. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely do think that it's a big loss. And in a typical Mike Bray year where you usually kind of tread softly with freshmen playing a ton of minutes early on, I feel like that maybe this wouldn't be quite as big of an impact uh, with, with Elijah Taylor not being able to potentially play this season. But when you look at the roster last year on the 20 and 12 team, they had it was senior laden with John Mooney and TJ Gibbs and and Juwan Dorham. There was a lot of senior leadership that is going to be you know thrown to the wayside with graduation this year. So a freshman might play have played a little atypical this year, may have played a little more than usual um, for what a typical Mike Bray team would would be. So I do think that Elijah Taylor is a legitimate loss, and and on a Notre Dame program that doesn't tend to put out a a, a ton of size on the court you know a 6-6 forward is another big loss because now we're, we're we're kind of whittling down to the size that we can put on the court and while he might not be a you know your your typical center power forward bills he's probably still a guy that can do a little bit of, of both forward uh, obligations and and, uh, and responsibilities so I think that in a lot of aspects it's a big loss and unfortunately uh, for Bray and his program they're going to have to try to you know, really bring some guys along maybe quicker than they want to because it's also going to hurt depth a little bit down the road as well. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on this one. Typically, you're not going to see a huge role carved out for a freshman. But the one thing that does hurt them is Notre Dame typically doesn't recruit these four- and five-star guys. They usually rely on the highly recruited three-stars that want to go and play for Notre Dame, a great academic institution. Losing out on a guy like this provides more depth than it does a key scorer, you know, a, a big impact freshman. So I'm I'm concerned that now the, the the depth on this this roster is impacted because you don't have that extra 
high-quality, talented freshmen. And you pointed out the size issue that we now have where Notre Dame doesn't have really a whole lot of tall guys. The two guys that they have that are over six foot nine is Juwan Durham and then Nate uh, Lazuski. Both of them are are over six ten. So you, you have a six eight freshman. That's that's still pretty good height. That's a guy that can come in and come off the bench and contribute, facing off a, a, against a bunch of other guys that are around that that height range, around that six foot eight. I don't think it's a huge major hit that you're losing him, but what what does dampen his impact and what dampens the current roster is not having that extra young piece to come off the bench. Yeah, and I, I, def- I definitely see that side, and I'm looking at the the roster right now, and it looks like Jawan Dorham is still on the roster as a graduate a graduate student. So they have two seniors on that roster. Besides that, we're working with juniors, sophomores, and freshmen. I just really think that in this year where we might not have that senior-laden senior team for, for Notre Dame, that Elijah might be a little more of a loss than maybe some people would, would normally point to in any given year. But, I mean, you bring up a fair point. Mike Bray's program and the success that he's had as a head coach at the University of Notre Dame has been built upon, hey, we're not going to get the highest recruits in the country. We're never going to get those five-star kids. But what I'm going to do is we're going to develop players and make them – very good players before we go, you know, flashing back to guys like Luke Herringody and, and all those guys, right? Like those guys were not high prospects. They're not guys that are going to go play in the NBA and be incredible basketball players on the next level. But what they are are hardworking individuals that buy into what Notre Dame's program instills in them. And he also might not have really worked his way into the, the, the lineup like we've already said. There are actually a surprising amount of former four-star recruits on this team uh, you know that's something you typically don't see with with a Notre Dame roster. But just to kind of wrap up the point, when you're not able to recruit those five star guys, you're usually not able to get those seven footers, those super tall players, or even get those those talented six foot eight guys that are a little bit undersized. So losing out on having him and being able to play, it, it dampens the depth. But at the same time. You lose out on him getting some early experience. You lose out on him going out there as a true freshman, working into the rotation, getting exposed to college basketball, which is so different than the high school level. Now he's likely going to probably medically redshirt, which is good that he maintains that eligibility, but you do kind of lose out on some of that experience by having him sit on the bench. Coming up, we are going to react to two quotes, one one from Brian Kelly and one from Ian Book. Before we do so, though, I would like to share a message with you from our sponsors. These days, it seems like life forces us to be on all of the time, but every now and then, it's important to stop and reset. That's when you reach the, for the Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to, ch- to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that is Coors Light. I know that when I am constantly working and it's starting to get close to Friday or Thursday and Thursday night football's on or uh, you know whatever sporting events are on on Friday or, or, or college football's on on Saturday, I know I want to relax, and the way that I always do that is reaching for the coldest beer out there, that being Coors Light. Watching football is therapeutic for fans, and it is uninterrupted me time, an excuse to chill and drink beer. With minimal college football teams playing this year, Coors Light wants fans to know that there are still plenty of teams and sports out there that will allow them to relax and enjoy a beer. 
Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or team, especially Notre Dame, just to drink beer. Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind and relax, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ryan, we've already pretty much broken down this this Notre Dame-Clemson victory, and we're also going to provide a little bit of extra analysis on this Tuesday show. But now that we have some extra time on Tuesday, we felt that it would be good to share with our listeners some of the quotes that they might have missed um, after the game in the post-game press conferences. There were two in particular that we wanted to pull out because of their significance in the outcome of the game. The first one being Ian Book discussing that fumble that he had when he was about to score and the ball was punched out from behind him and what could have been a turning point in favor of Clemson to take Notre Dame out of the game. However, he talked about staying resilient and stepping up to the challenge. Uh, Things happen and playmakers forget about it. And uh, I just told myself, if I keep thinking about this, probably going to have a worse game. So forget about it. Let's keep going. And I probably had every guy on the offense come up to me and say, you're good, keep going. You, you know, you're our, you're our leader. We need you. And, um, yeah, I saw the end zone. I thought I was going to score. And, you know, they did a good job. I should have put two hands on it. So I'll fix that. But I, I always tell myself, just forget it, move on. Because times when you don't forget about it, it normally goes – it normally just gets worse. So for me, Ryan, I think that this quote is, you know, it's great to hear from Ian Book. We talked about having to step up to the occasion, and we were purely speculating on his reaction to fumbling in that spot. And the, and the key thing that you get from a veteran senior quarterback is that resilience to step up to the challenge. And that's exactly what, what Ian Book did here. And he even talked about it, how everybody rallied around him. I firmly think that hearing... Your leader of a quarterback say something like this and how the team came behind him and said, you're good. We're going we're gonna to follow your lead. You're going to help us lead this thing to a victory. That is exactly what you want to have for a winning program. That's the exact type of culture that you need for a team that is competing to become a top two program in the country right now. Because if you don't have that normal stuff and you've got guys coming to the sideline and and complaining and moaning and, and saying like, man, you messed that up. You cost us a touchdown. That's how you end up with a bad program. Instead, they're showing these super positive signs of why this team is built from its core to be a winning team. And I think ownership is the big word that sticks with me when I when I heard that quote. You know, it wasn't. There's no pointing fingers. There's no you know deflecting it in any way. He basically you know just said like turnovers happen. I know they happen. The guys rallied around me, and I needed to. Keep playing my game. It doesn't affect you. And yesterday we talked a little bit about, you know, for me, was that Brian Kelly never seemed too high on the sideline. He never seemed too low. It was the same thing in that moment, answering that question for Ian Book. Never seemed too high, never seemed too low. That play, like you said, that fumble, could have been a huge swing in that game. And it was for a little bit. But, hey, man, they were resilient. That team rallied around him. And that's what you want to see from the quarterback position, the most important position in all of sports. It isn't pointing fingers. It isn't deflecting blame. It's saying, hey, man, that's on me, but next play is going to be better. That's the type of of thought process. That's the type of personality that you need to have at that position. 
And I can't, I can't set, speak any more highly of Ian Book from this last game because even when the chips were down and, and at that point it was for a second like, hey, man, maybe this is the, the typical Notre Dame that we've been seeing for the last 30 years or so. It wasn't. He literally just took that, threw it behind him, moved forward, and he did what he needed to do to beat the number one team in the country in the biggest game that we've seen so far this year. And I can tell you, I played on some very bad teams in my time at the University of Rhode Island. We did have one winning season. We went 6-5, and five, but a lot of seasons where we only had two wins. And the one thing that I can say pretty firmly that held us back was that level of culture. When we had bad games or things looked really bad at halftime, the first thing that would happen before or, or after games was was pointing fingers. It was a lot of... Man, you did this wrong. No, you did that wrong. We lost because you missed this. You missed that. You messed this up. Whose call was that? Who? It, it, instead of coming into the locker room and hearing, you know, that's on me. That's my mistake. And the difference that we had from my first three years to my senior year where we had three guys go to the NFL was when guys started to rally. T- we, we still only won three games or two games, but we there was a noticeable difference in the attitude where guys weren't pointing fingers at one another they were instead saying that's on me we need to rally together we need to stay in this we need to stick it through if we want to win a close football game Brian Kelly also shared his thoughts on a very key part of this victory which was shutting down Travis Etienne and then DJ Uyongalele stepping up and playing a a very very good football game obviously uh (laughs) We, we put a lot of emphasis on him not wrecking the game. Um, but, you know, DJ's a special player. Um, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is a special player, too. Um, boy, I'd like to have Dabo's problems with those two guys. Um, I mean, he, he's outstanding. I mean, his, his ability to throw the football um, today was, was, was pretty special. Um, I think I think we, we would have if we played them again, um, we would have to do some things a little bit differently because he is so explosive as a quarterback. So you can hear from from Brian Kelly that they had an intent to shut down Travis Etienne Ryan, and then also he really praises DJ Uyunglele, which we both have done. What they were able to do in this in these circumstances was was pretty good. Yeah, and, and what I got from Brian there is obviously he, he mentions that if when they see them again, if they see them again, that they may have to do some things a little bit differently. But for now, Trevor Lawrence wasn't in. DJ Uyunglele is still a true freshman. You knew who the best player and most dangerous player on the field was at all times. It's Travis Etienne. They have other guys, obviously, Cornell Powell, Amari Rodgers, really talented wide receivers, and Powell you know, and Rodgers both had their moments against Notre Dame. But at no point did they deviate from their message from the the plan of attack was to stop Travis Etienne. Now, I look forward, and hopefully when we get to the ACC championship game, Notre Dame and Clemson get the rematch, we're going to talk a lot about what those differences may be in the game plan because things are going to be very different when you have to account for Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have to pick your spots with a lot of things. We talked about how... Maybe Notre Dame didn't create a bunch of pressure, um, you know, schematically with their linebackers and safeties. That was by design. You know, they were they were playing a lot of zone coverage to try to mess with a true freshman. When we have Trevor Lawrence in there, it's probably going to be a different conversation. But for now, hey, they had a plan. 
It worked. They shut down the all-time leading rusher in the ACC, 73 career touchdowns on top of it to 12 carries for, uh, sorry, 18 carries for 28 yards. So the plan worked to perfection. It's going to change, but for now, they devised a strategy that worked, and they 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 made it work. They made it happen. Every every the best. It was this was the best possible outcome. Shut down the best player on Clemson's offense and make another unproven player have to beat you. The one thing that I, I got a little bit of a kick out of uh, from his comments, he talked about he wishes he had Dabo Sweeney's problem of having tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence and then now one of the best freshman quarterbacks in the country. And that's just so ironic because Notre Dame has Ian Book and then they had Phil Dracovic, who is playing phenomenal right now for Boston College. And some people, including you, think that Dracovic is going to be a highly draftable quarterback from what he's done and he's flashed. So it's just kind of it's so ironic that that Coach Kelly is saying, I wish I had that problem when coach you had that problem and you let the other kid walk. Yeah, you 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 oh man, I wish I had a six foot four, two hundred and twenty plus pound athletic <laughs> kid with this really strong arm. Um yeah, he's he's just playing for Boston College. He's wearing number five right now over there for Boston College. It's, it's I know I know it's a tough conversation because Ian Book has been successful for Notre Dame. I completely get it. He threw thirty four touchdowns last year. Like I'm not trying to diminish the impact and the success he's had at Notre Dame. But man, when you put those two next uh, side by side to one another, it's hard not to imagine how much more dynamic the Notre Dame offense could be with Phil Dracovic. And obviously with this week playing Boston College, they're playing some good football. They almost beat Clemson two weeks ago now. It's going to be a, a talked about situation. And I said in the preseason, like this could be a Justin Fields, Jake Fromm situation by the end of the year because you're just like, how good could Notre Dame potentially be with Phil Dracovic at quarterback? It's a shame that the timing just didn't work out right. Um, and unfortunately for us, we're going to be talking about Phil Dracovic a ton this week leading up to Boston College now. Yes, that is going to be the big, big headline for this upcoming week is Phil Dracovic playing against his former program. And if he plays well, there could be a little bit of regret there for letting him leave. Or conversely, maybe Notre Dame feels a little bit better of, uh, the, about themselves if Ian Book outduels him. In a few minutes, we will provide our top and also the worst position groups from this game. Before we do so, though, Ryan, do you have a message for our listeners? I sure do, and I will say getting up on a Monday morning is hard enough. Try doing it on a Tuesday. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Built Go every day. It's easy to take in a one and a half ounce package, put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation of your life. Bilko is the best workout gel on the market today. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling, plus it's natural, so it's better for the body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. It comes in three delicious flavors that include peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and my personal favorite, chocolate mint. Bilko combines energy gel with collagen protein. That collagen protein is the fast-absorbing protein, so it gets into my system fast, Plus, it's easy to stomach. Bilko is loaded with good stuff to ignite my work every single day. Bilko then kicks to keep me going strong. There's no bat, uh, there's no side effect to uh, a little bit of a crash early in the day. Bilko has the collagen proteins, again, that promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally makes you look, 
better while also making you perform better. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCK. That's all capital LOCK. And you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Folks, make sure you go and hit that subscribe button if you enjoy the show. Maybe also provide us with a review if you enjoy it. And let us know what you think so far of Ryan and I as the new host. So Ryan, as you and I are very analytical um, evaluators, we we both, you break down a lot of college football prospect film, prospect film. I break down film for some of my other various work that I do covering FCS football, covering the Giants. Perfect reason to bring up and discuss how we felt various position groups did in this game. So, Ryan, who was your best position group from the victory against Clemson? I, I would say offensive line would have to be the, the strong point. I, there were, and Clemson's always going to do this, right? They manufacture pressure, so they're going to play man to man. They're going to send, they're going to send six, sometimes seven defenders. So, five offensive linemen naturally versus seven is not going to work out to your biggest advantage. But when they had one-on-one chances, when they were rushing four, and we had five versus four or five versus five even, Notre Dame was able to do an incredible job in pass protection. I felt like there was no, there wasn't a ton of reps where I saw where I said that offensive lineman just lost a one-on-one rep against their, the uh, Clemson defensive line. I felt like in the run game, obviously, Liam Eikenberg's uh, work up to the second level in that 75-yard touchdown to get the game started was highly, highly publicized, but also... 200 yards rushing by Notre Dame to a team that gives up less than 100 on average per game, which is very notable. Felt like the, the offensive line in general had to be the strong suit of the day. Want to throw, though, you know, just a quick shout-out and honorable mention to the pass catchers. That was my biggest concern was wide receiver position, the ability to beat these really talented cornerbacks for, uh, for Clemson, mainly Andrew Booth, Darian Kendrick, a lot of talented defenders in that secondary. Javon McKinley. Avery Davis, Ben Skoranek at times, Michael Mayer in the passing game. That a lot of guys at pass catching um, doubts going into this game really showed up. So honorable mention of the pass catchers, but Notre Dame's offensive line definitely has to be the the prized position group of this week in their upset victory over Clemson. And a lot of those plays that the receivers and tight ends made, there were a lot of really good contested catches, which they deservedly so belong in that honorable mention spot. I'm on the same page with you, though, in picking the offensive line. I am always, when I talk about this, this Notre Dame offensive line, the way that I always like to, to point, point out their success is that you don't have one guy in the group that is carrying the load. You don't have a Penny Sewell who's going to be a top three pick. You don't have a, a Ronnie Stanley or um, a Quentin Nelson like you have in the past. This is a good group, and you're, you're going to have a guy like uh, Garrett Patterson who might get drafted very highly, but the rest of these guys aren't really first-round linemen. I don't think that's too crazy to say that, but what makes them work so well together and why they have been the highest graded offensive line in the country is their cohesiveness, their ability to work together, their ability to work off of each other. That level of continuity is, a, is the big reason why the offensive line has done so well in previous games. And then when they had to face one of the best defenses or one of the better defenses in the country, they were able to go out there, step up, dominate, and lead to some big rushing plays. Yeah. And, and the cohesiveness is a great point there. The, the, 
Most inexperienced starter for Notre Dame is Jarrett Patterson, the center that you mentioned a little bit, that's now started, what, almost 20 games in his career. We have Lee Meikenberg, who started for three-plus years. We've had Aaron Banks, who started for two-plus. We've had the right side, Tommy Kramer, has started now for four years, rotating duty at right tackle as a, as a richer freshman. Robert Haynes, he's been a four-year starter. That, that cohesiveness is what's so important, that experience. And I would agree, Jared Patterson, for me, from an NFL draft perspective, is probably going to be the best prospect when he comes out, whether that is this year, next year, or maybe even three years from now because he's only a redshirt sophomore. Liam Eikenberg probably gets the most notoriety. Some guys have him in the first-round conversation. I think he's more of a day-two prospect, but he's super solid that I can see playing for a long time. Kind of reminds me of Riley Reef. That's played for a long time in the NFL. Has been a very good player now with the Minnesota Vikings, left tackle. I think that he's very solid. But overall, it's not a group where a, you have a Quentin Nelson or Ronnie Stanley or even a Mike McGlinchey that's going to go top 10 in the draft. What you have is five guys that are going to play on Sundays, though, and five guys that have a ton of experience, which has led to the cohesiveness of this unit together right now. Now, Ryan, if I was to pick a group that struggled – and I think worst sounds a little aggressive, like they completely did not perform up to the standard that we expected. They're, they made some plays, but they definitely did struggle. They're not the reason why Clemson was this close in the game because Clemson's offense is just that good. They, you know, they, they click on all cylinders. I have to go with the secondary. The secondary gave up some seriously big plays over the top. They missed some tackles and allowed for some yard-after-catch opportunities for a group of offensive weapons, receivers that are very fast and athletic. The way that you slow down an offense like this is tackling these guys right when they make the catch. You can't allow these athletes to create space and to cut and then to pick up 15 or more yards. It's okay sometimes to allow a, you know, a 10-yard reception. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you end up giving up another 20 yards after that 10-yard reception, that's very bad. Now, I do think Kyle Hamilton made some very good plays, and he looked really good in this game. But I think some of the other guys, though, just seeing a lot of the mistakes that they allowed, some of these big passes, you have to say that they, they struggled the most in this game. No, and, and it's it's a great point. I, I would agree 100%. That has to be my lowest-graded unit. I talked about my biggest fear with some of these guys one-on-one -on -one in situations against linebackers and some defensive backs. Felt like they picked on Tariq Bracey early on that long touchdown to Cornell Powell, which he was, I mean, the dude was nowhere to be found. It was just, <laughs> from start to finish, it was just a terrible rep on him. Way too many missed tackles in the secondary, too. I, I mean, Powell, again, on that one, broke a ton of tackles. There was Amari Rogers who caught just like a little, you know, a little uh, quick stop route and then broke a couple tackles. Clarence Lewis, the, the uh, freshman cornerback, was not up to that, um, that competition on that rep. So I feel like they found the weakness of the secondary, the weakness of the secondaries. And I really didn't feel like Nick McLeod was tested too much. I felt like they said, hey, Tariq Bracey, Clarence Lewis, that's the weak spot right there. They took advantage of it. They also got some mismatches on linebackers like I feared. But for the most part, I thought like the linebackers did an okay job in pass coverage. It was mostly just defensive backs were not up to par on that day. And then you know, anytime that a team throws for over 400 yards and doesn't create any turnovers in the passing game, uh, it wasn't too great of a look for that secondary overall. So that is going to be it for today's episode of the Locked on Irish podcast. Wednesday, we are going to have a wonderful guest, Mike Singer of Rivals. 
He covers the Notre Dame recruiting beat. He is an insider. He is going to provide us an update on how things look right now for Notre Dame recruiting for football. Additionally, guys, make sure you go and hit that follow button for us on social media at Locked On Irish to stay up to date on every single show so you do not miss out. Additionally, make sure that you follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft for Ryan. Please hit that subscribe button as well. We would really appreciate it if you did and stayed up to date on every single show so you don't miss out on any of the shows that we have come out five days a week. Now, if you're looking for something to listen to for whatever reason, maybe it's your the rest of the year commute to work or for later in the day, head on over to Locked On BC so you can hear how they're possibly reacting to their recent performance this past week and maybe how they're preparing for a top team in the country, that being Notre Dame, as Notre Dame is facing them. We're, we're actually going to have A.J. Black of that Locked On BC podcast later on in the week so you can get an early listen on how you think this team possibly looks for this upcoming matchup. Thanks, folks. We'll talk to you soon on Wednesday.